I chose to get out of my comfort zone and find a way to connect to my kid over something that he liked. And too often as parents, we don't want to get uncomfortable. So we end up assuming that our kids need to be uncomfortable so that we can stay comfortable. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Last week, we started a conversation with my friend, John. John is an incredible guy. We heard his story, and it's a pretty amazing story. I love to hear stories like this. We learned how he grew up in the church, but how he struggled with same-sex attraction, as so many do, and sought help, but really found none. And in his late teens, he was done fighting his desires and urges, and he decided to pursue the life he desired away from God. He ended up moving to Boston and became a drag queen, but God wouldn't let John go and spoke to him after one of his shows and told him literally to go home. Eventually, John came back to faith, turned away from his sin, grew in Christ, and eventually God brought this amazing woman into his life. He got married, had four children, and now he leads a national children's ministry. If you haven't heard the first part of this conversation, I would highly recommend you go back and listen now, because this conversation isn't going to make much sense without understanding the first episode. But today, we're going to be shifting gears in this conversation. We're going to be moving along from John's story how God has equipped him as a dad and ministry leader to help parents deal with difficult issues. This is something we all need help with because our world today is very complex. We all know this. How do we approach such issues with our children when it comes to education and entertainment? How do we tell our stories of sin and redemption, and we all have them, to our kids? None of us have been perfect. How do we as parents today help our kids to become what God intends them to be? And how do we reach out to that friend or family member in love while still holding to the truths of God's word? John's story forces us to confront this truth. Are we really going to love our neighbors? He also provides some very unique insights in how to approach these thorny issues. But before we get to that conversation, I want to let you know about what we have going on in the months of November and December. God has blessed us over these past 10 months And we are so grateful to everything that he's accomplished. And we want to give all the glory and praise to God, whether it's the growth of our audience on this show, our YouTube channel, and all the plans that we're laying out. God has been behind it all, and he has used listeners and supporters like you. And I want to thank all of those who support our work and our effort, our ministry, in order to water the world for Jesus. But we do need to finish this year well, and we need your help. We need to raise an additional $50,000 to help us finish the year well and send us into 2023 really being able to accomplish the plans that God has laid upon our hearts. So here's what I need you to do. Three things. Number one, I need you to subscribe to this podcast. Number two, I need you to share it with other people. And three, we need your financial support. We need you to invest in us so that we can invest in lives around the world. So we need to raise an additional $50,000 in these two months to finish well and so that we can continue watering your faith. We're making progress. It's been huge so far, but we need your help to get across the finish line. And to those who are already supporting us, thank you. You rock our worlds. It means more than you'll ever know. Your one-time gift of $50 or more will enter you to receive one of 50 books we have available from authors who have been on the show. Books like Beautiful Community by Erwin Ent Jr., Restless Devices by Felicia Wu Song, You Are Not Your Own by The Alan Noble, or The Wisdom 
Pyramid really rocks if you're trying to understand technology and culture by Brett McCracken and the just released book by Jim Wilder, Escaping Enemy Mode. And we've already done an interview with him. That episode will be coming out in the very near future. So look for that. And it gets even better. Our friends at Tyndale have provided copies of the NLT Illustrated Study Bible. Your one-time gift of $500 or more gets you a copy. Oh, and there's one last thing. You've probably heard us talk about the Missio Holistic Approach to Faith. You're going to be hearing a lot about that in the days, weeks, and months to come. And when you sign up to support us monthly, you will be eligible to participate in an online study with me on this God-centered study on finding God's mission for your life. Thank you so much for your generosity. And without further ado, let's get to my conversation with John Hannigan. Happy listening. Have you seen Lightyear? No, but I know, I know what it, I mean. I've, I've heard about it in culture, but go ahead and, and enlighten us. Okay, here's the deal with Lightyear. First of all, Melissa and I both agree that it is not a good representation of what a movie in 1994 would have been. It's supposed to be the movie that Andy watched for Lightyear, for Buzz Lightyear. But it's not, because in 1994, this movie wouldn't have existed, especially as a G movie. So, but... Everyone's upset because there's a gay kiss. But the thing is, so it's one very, very quick scene. And now everyone wants to throw out a whole movie. So I'm sitting in the car the other night. We saw Lightyear. Now we educate our kids, obviously, on LGB issues. And you'll hear me say LGB because lesbian, gay, bisexual is one thing, right? That is actually biblical. Just like murder is biblical. It doesn't mean it's right. I'm not saying homosexuality is right. Right? I'm just saying it is biblical. Meaning that the Bible addresses the subject. The That's Bible addresses it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the Bible addresses it. Thank you for saying it that way. But the Bible addresses it. Like, we, we can't act like it doesn't exist. We can't act like it's some crazy new cultural thing. Like, bro, it's been around for a long, long time. Since Jesus had some people writing on some scrolls. Okay? So, like, hello, it's been there. And so... The Bible, it addresses it. It does not, the Bible does not address transgenderism. In that the Bible doesn't say anything about transgenderism in the operation, just like it doesn't say anything about abortion per se, like that same type of thing, because these are modern things that have developed or stem cell research or euthanasia or these terminologies. Okay, we're on the same page. It's not even just in operation, but the whole idea of you can change your gender. When we talk about biblical worldview, we talk about having a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview doesn't, doesn't include abortion because abortion is not in the Bible, right? A biblical worldview doesn't include transgenderism because it's not in the Bible. With a chapter and verse. There's not a chapter and verse about it. But what people would say about abortion, yes, do not murder. But the, the idea of that being pre, you know, it's a modern understanding where we are, we don't have a chapter and verse that deals with the modern understanding of it not being a person in that way. We would argue going just to clarify where, where things are at for those that are, their ire is being raised. But what I think you're trying to say is, is we don't have a chapter in verse dealing with the subjects in the way that our culture understands them at this moment. Correct? Yes. Right. And I would go even further to say, thank you for saying that, that abortion is in the Bible because of murder, right? And abortion is murder to us. So it is in the Bible. So let's actually recant that statement that actually it is in the Bible, it is murder. Transgenderism is not even implied in the Bible. The only place that people can go, including like the HRC, the Human Rights Commission Coalition, HRC, Human Rights Campaign. Even the HRC says that it's, they go to a verse in Deuteronomy where it talks about women don't dress as men and men don't dress as women, right? At the very most, that's cross-dressing, right? At the very biggest side of that, that's cross-dressing. It is not changing your gender. And so for me, lesbian, gay, bisexual is an issue of sexuality, right? TQ, that goes into a whole nother world, right? And isn't that how the devil is? Like he starts us in something that's actually rooted in truth. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, that was rooted in truth. And then he goes and throws something totally different, right? So that's totally different. So I'm not going to talk about TQIA, LMNOP, alphabet soup. I'm going to talk about lesbian, gay, bisexual. So I asked Charlotte the other night in the car. Charlotte's my seven-year-old, okay? I said, Charlotte, what does gay mean? And she says, oh, gay is when a boy marries a boy. 
I said, okay, what is lesbian? Oh, when a girl marries a girl. I said, do we believe that that's okay? And she said, well, no, I mean, it's sin like any sin. I said, okay, so what do we do about that? And she said, well, we pray for them, but we love them. We're nice. We're kind. You know, we pray for them. And I said, okay. And, and that was the conversation, right? My seven-year-old. I don't think the church understands the majority. I don't think the majority of the church understands what my seven-year-old understands. But what is love, Travis? Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? What does 1 Corinthians say? We're not called, 1 Corinthians 5 says that we're not called to judge the world. We're called to judge each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Why are we, why are we calling out the world for having pride? Right? When at the end of the day, the church isn't having pride. Now there's some are and they're crazy and we should call them out. But we shouldn't be calling out people who don't know the Lord. We should be trying to show them a path to the Lord. Leaving the old life behind Giving the new one a try Making the past as we go Trying a new way to grow But here's the thing. We're called to teach our kids, right? And so take them to the movie and set it up with, hey, you're going to see some things that we don't agree with after the movie. Let's talk about it. And guess what? If they see it and they go, huh, that girl kissed a girl. Then have the conversation. But if they miss it, cool. Then you're not there yet. But let's stop thinking that our kids can't have a conversation or can't know because guess what? Then you're churning out these children who are going to be adults and curiosity gets the best of them. And the church goes, well, we don't understand why Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ, TQIA, whatever, but they, they identify in some sort of LGBT stance at 20% when it's always been between five and 7%. They identify in that because they're curious and they're trying to figure themselves out and they think they have a choice what their identity is, right? And they think they have to succumb to it if they do have some sort of same-sex attraction or some sort of questioning behavior, right? And so it's, it's interesting to me that the church says, oh no, let's boycott this movie, let's not watch it because it has a gay kiss and not let's use it as an opportunity to educate our children. Let's use it as an opportunity to show our kids, yeah, the world is different. The world is sin, right? Sin entered the world, right? And then we, praise the Lord, have been covered by his blood. But let's not bury our head because I can tell you that if my nine-year-old wasn't having a conversation with me about it, she'd be talking to someone. And do I really want her to get her information from another nine-year-old who I know or don't know their values and their parents' values? No, I'd rather than talk to me. I mean, you're now running a national organization called Celebrate Kids as the executive director after that woman that you had heard when you're going through this period of time. And now you're running the merry ministry that she's a part of. You're working with, with kids. You're working with families, trying to navigate these issues. I remember a pastor that I worked with at one time. He said, I believe in inoculating my children against the world a little bit at a time. And his purpose was, is that I want to introduce them. I don't want to so far remove them that yes, they're removed from all corruption, but then that it becomes its own kind of echo chamber and insular closed place. And we've all met children where the parents and their zeal to keep their kids pure have so removed them from the world that it becomes grossly distorted and just really perverse in its own way, legalism of where it goes, where, or they don't know how to engage people outside of their quote-unquote Christian bubble. We know that the world is, is under the judgment of, the, uh, of God. That's why you mentioned before 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul is clearly saying, you know, I wrote to you not to associate those who are sexually immoral, not meaning at all those outside of the church, but those inside of the church, those who call themselves brother and sisters. 
but because if, if that were the case, then we'd have to go outside of the world. So he's saying, you're going to encounter this. You're going to deal with it. My always issue is, is how do you deal with that when it comes to entertainment? Because to be exposed at school is one thing, because you can't get away if you do have public school or even Christian school. But when do you say enough is enough and we're going to pull out? Is there a point in time? Because I, we had Trevin Wax on the show and Trevin had said that movies or entertainment reflect the culture, but they also push it forward. And Disney has done that. We have, I mean, with Mandalorian, Obi-Wan, Lightyear, you know, the Avengers, it just seems like mm-hmm. more and more gets added and the line keeps getting more and more and moved. Yet, if we pull them out, they feel in some way, because I've seen this with my son in gaming, this pressure of social isolation, where my son is at this place now where he says, Dad, all my friends are online. They're all gaming. Even when I go visit, they just want to watch YouTube videos. Now, some might say, oh, go find new friends. That's easier said than done. And there's still a real pressure that he feels with that to want to be online, to want to know what's being said, to want to know what the trends are, the movies, all of these different things. So here's my question. How do we know when to say it's okay to show them and help them walk through this? And when do we say that this is a line you've crossed it? And I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it anymore. We have this amazing, amazing thing in Christian world, right? If we are a faith, then we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? As I sit here in my office doing this podcast, there are two women sitting at my kitchen table. My wife, who's, you know, hot stuff, um, and her best friend, Tammy, who also is an assistant in our ministry. And Tammy is a public school parent. Melissa and I felt called, and Joey was entering the sixth grade, and he came to us and said, hey, I think I want to homeschool. We had our kids in private Christian school. And so we said, okay, haha, funny. Um, and he said, no, for real. And um, we started talking about it and praying about it. And ultimately, we made the decision that was right for us based on what the Holy Spirit was telling us, right? Tammy is a public school parent, and she loves her kids being in public school. Her daughter, who's my daughter's best friend, my 13-year-old, she's an amazing example, and she is a light in the community. You know, there's the verse about teaching them diligently, right? Raise up a child and and the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. We don't give our kids over to the educational system, right? So even Tammy, she doesn't give her kid over to the educational system and say, here, teach them everything. I'm going to shirk my responsibility. Although I think that's what as Christians, especially today, Christian parents are doing for the most part. We're saying, here, we're going to send our kids to church so they can learn the Bible. We're going to send our kids to school so they can learn academics. And so what what do they end up doing? They end up learning... They're outsourcing everything. So they're learning what the school is sending. What Tammy does, and I think it's beautiful, is that she and Nate, her husband, will sit down and have conversations with Bailey. They'll say, okay, what did you learn? And it's not that they're trying to figure out if she learned eight times eight, right? Which is 64, just in case some of you needed to fix that math. She's not learning that. They're saying, what are you learning? What what crazy, basically, is happening today, right? What did you hear? What did you see? Right? And let's process that. And let's debunk that with truth. Hey, listen, if we pull all of the good Christian solid kids like Bailey out of public school, oh dear God, it's going to get so much worse. Listen, Dr. Kathy just participated. Dr. Kathy is the founder of our ministry, Dr. Kathy Cook. And she just participated in Kirk Cameron's documentary. We're friends with Kirk and his wife, and she participated in his documentary on homeschool. And, you know, it's, people are like, oh, so you guys are only homeschool. And I'm like, no, as a ministry, we're pro-parents. We're pro-parents being parents. Mm -hmm. We're pro you having a say in your child. And so I think, you know, some parents are meant to keep their kids in school again and be the light, right? We're called to be, you know, John 17, 11 says that we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Like that's the paraphrase, just so we're all clear. That's the that's the John International mm-hmm. version. Um, but like it is the paraphrase, but it's we are, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. And so I think you have to first, you have to pray. And you have to say, Lord, what are you calling me as a family to do? 
And then I think secondly, depending on what that answer is from the Lord, you have to say, okay, then I'm ready to equip my kids for whatever you have called us to do. And we understand that you will equip us. So one of the core philosophies we have is our core needs. So it's security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence. Security. Uh, who can I trust? I know I can trust God, right? Identity, who am I? That's my big thing. I'm a man of God. Belonging, where do I belong? I belong in the body of Christ. Purpose, what am I called to do? And then competence, God equips the call. And I think for parents, if they understand that their calling is to homeschool, private school, public school their kid, whatever it is, because they've prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom and the Holy Spirit inside of them has told them that, then they can trust that he has equipped the call, the call on their life. So that for Melissa, that meant even though she wasn't an educated degree teacher, she's a therapist by trade, you know, she is able to teach our children. Because God equipped her to do that because that is her purpose is to be a homeschool mom. For Tammy, her purpose is to be a a public school mom. And so she has been equipped. God has equipped her to do that. And I think for us as parents, we can't shirk responsibility. We can't say here, we're going to abdicate our role to the church, to the school, to the community. We are going to take our role seriously as parents. We're going to teach our kids. We're going to love our kids well. We're going to show them. And that's why when you look at culture, you look at Disney, you look at all these different organizations, you go, okay, yeah, light year. Of course, there's going to be a lesbian couple because they are the world and they're trying to make money, right? And we don't live in a conservative America as much as we think we do anymore. So they're going to put that in there and then we're going to go, okay, this is our opportunity to live in the world, but not of it. This is our opportunity to go, okay, you know, we could still watch that and we can use it as an opportunity to teach our kids because God has equipped us to teach our kids well. With wisdom of years, we're still asking questions you will mostly receive the highlighted on the show, uh, Christian Smith, who wrote the book Souls in Transition. And in it, they did the largest study of American youth, and they were looking at religion, although that's not what they advocated or told people when they were doing this study. And they wanted to isolate the factors again on how, how does a young person come to know Jesus if they're raised in a Christian home? What, ca- what causes them to stay in the faith? And they isolated it down to three things. One, the parents actually did what they preached. They, they practiced what they preached. So that example was in front of them. So they saw it was genuine and not hypocrisy. Number two, they had another adult outside of the family that was reiterating what the parents were saying, which showed that there was a a support network that was in place. Number three, though, the kids suffered for their faith in some capacity. And that, that kind of flies in the face, though, of some different educational models that if we remove ourselves from the world, then, then our kids don't have the ability to, to persevere, to defend. It becomes more theoretical than actual. And you have to find those ways to do that, no matter what model you have, not that you're trying to put your kids in willingly harm's way. But if you're living as salt and light in the midst of the dark world, and you're going to be in front of dark people, dark people are going to respond, and not always in a a positive way. But I think the question that I have, and it's been a struggle of my own and my own family, I think of what the scripture says, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy. and there is that constant tension between I need to put what in front of my kids is pure. At the same time, I need to educate them according to the realities of the world in which they live. And if I don't evangelize them, then the world will. And that's the inoculation of the world a little bit at a time, but it's not an easy process because I do wonder as I, I limited to my wife the other day, I mean, entertainment, is entertainment. It's something that I willingly go through that actually our you know, Christian forefathers of the beginning of the 20th century, when movies came out, had all these warnings that it would become a, a means of propagation and influence. And people kind of laughed at that. 
But as time has gone on, it is one of the biggest conveyors of, of messaging, meaning, belonging, truth, worldview. So I think it's that catch 22. You go, well, I'm in the world. I expose them to what they can handle as they can handle it. Because there are certain things that we're like, okay, I'd never put in front of my children. But the question is, is where is that? I guess that's the question. Where is that line? When does it become the Trojan horse that comes in and starts to influence? And, and again, this might go back to what you were saying. I mean, we, we may not have an answer here, but what you were saying is, is that if I don't educate my kids, someone else will. The Trojan horse is not the problem. You not educating them that it can be a Trojan horse is the problem, right? Like, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not going to go, listen, I'm not going to set my 15-year-old down and be like, bro, let me show you all this porn and then tell you why it's terrible, right? No, I'm going to educate him on why it's terrible, right? And then I'm going to understand that he will see it because the reality is that the statistics say that he will. And I'm going to expect that because I've educated him well, he knows how to respond when he does see it. And because I've created an open dialogue with him, he will come to me and tell me. Rather than the shaming aspect of things, where it's condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. It is terrible. And I say that it's terrible. But the way that I say it's terrible is not that you're terrible. It's that, isn't it terrible that sin entered the world, right? Isn't it terrible that sin happens? Right? Isn't it terrible that we live in a world where it's so free and readily accessible? And so, and also look at the terrible things it does. And quite frankly, because I tend to make every mistake in the book, I can also say, like, look at the terrible things it did to my marriage, the terrible things it did to your mother, right? Look at the way it, 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 it interacted in our life. And then this is why you don't want it in yours. So when do you start sharing your story with your children or do you? So Joey knows everything. Um, I mean, Joey can basically recite it, honestly, at 15. And quite frankly, uses it because, you know, there are people who look at my personality and, you know, I say often personality does not dictate sexuality. Okay. But our world doesn't understand that. Right. Like, they're like, oh, he must be gay. We have gaydar and all this stuff, right? No. Personality doesn't dictate sexuality. Who you sleep with does. And so there's a lot of people that will say like, oh, I thought your dad was gay. And Joey's like, well, nope. But let me tell you a story, right? He's, he's 15. He's known. So he was about 12 years old when we sat him down at Panera. Actually, because of a friend. It wasn't even actually me that the conversation started about. It started because one of my friends was making some choices to go back into the lifestyle. And we wanted him to know. He had some questions and we wanted him to know what was up. And so I said, you know, this is how we met. This is how we became friends. This is what happened in my life. He's a very responsible, intelligent 12-year-old. My daughter is 13 now, my oldest. So actually, she found out by accident. So as, as you know, I run a ministry. We do a conference. Um, it used to be called Hearts at Home, the Hearts at Home Conference. So we actually, several years ago, it was going to disband. And so Kathy said, I'll take it over so that we don't abandon these women. And so she did. And um, so it became my responsibility a couple of years ago. So I was a man running a women's conference, which is kind of funny. But I spoke with Kathy at the conference two years ago, and it was broadcast into the hotel. So Maddie had turned on the TV or someone had turned on the TV and they'd seen me on stage. And so they said, oh, look, your dad's on stage. And so Maddie texted me afterwards and God bless her. She says, dad, you did so good. And that was the first text. And I was like, what is she talking about? And then a second text came through. But I have some questions. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man. So we took a golf cart ride and we talked. Um, What I think is beautiful, because I think, again, the Lord gives us the right words at the right time, is that I shared my story with her um, sitting on a golf cart. So she was 11 at the time. And she heard the whole thing. And she said, wow, now I understand why you have such a hard relationship with Nana and Papa, my parents. Because there's a lot of hurt still there. 
you know, on not protecting me and things like that. And so it was, it was fascinating to me that that's what she got out of it. It wasn't, oh, you've done all these terrible things, right? Or, you know, oh, you were, you, you sinned in this way. It was, wow, now I understand more of you. And then my nine-year-old now, um, Ella is my child. She is me. She is fabulous. She's hysterical, quick-witted. And I think she just kind of figured it out. Like she just kind of was like, okay, I'm going to piece together some things. But actually a couple, probably uh, two months ago now, we were at a homeschool convention and someone walked up to me and said, hey, I heard your story. Or I think actually what she said was like, I heard you used to be a drag queen. I want to know about that. And Ella was standing there and she was like, what? And I was like, go away, Ella. And so then she just kind of pieced everything together after that and was like, okay, this happened and we're not ready to talk about it yet. So we're not ready to talk about it. But I know that there'll be a time when it it makes sense. And so it it will be talked about. She understands homosexuality. Um, Actually, Ella, that's how she became a Christian. We have some friends who we're close to. They are married. And they, Ella found out that about my other my other friend actually who went back in and so in that conversation she found out and she was kind of heartbroken it caused her to really kind of go okay we need the lord so it was beautiful but also at the same time heartbreaking my seven-year-old again knows about it but doesn't know me he doesn't know my side of it shouldn't quite frankly you know i think if we were all a little more honest with where our sin took us with our kids, we'd be in a much better place. But, you know, I think for my kids, I think what I teach them, and I think this is any kind of sin. I think this is really anything. This kind of can sum up, like, to me, this sums up life right now for me. And what I'm learning as a, as a Christian is love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Yes, we, I can agree with those two. But he starts with love is patient. And if we're going to love our neighbor, if we're going to love a non-Christian, we have to be patient with them. And we have to be patient with the Lord because we know that he's working. And if we trust him and if we believe in him, we know that he has a plan. And then we have to be kind because beating him over the head with scripture when they're not even a Christian and telling them they're sinning when they don't even think that sinning is an issue is not winning them over to the Lord. So patient and kind. At the same time, we can't bear false witness. Love doesn't bear false witness, you know? So I'm going to be careful to not bear a false witness to people that I care for and that I'm trying to minister to. I'm not going to tell them something's okay when it's not. I'm not going to affirm what they're doing, even though I accept them, right? But I'm also not going to be like, I don't affirm this and you're a terrible person. I'm going to be like, hey, I can't get behind that, you know, like, no, I can't come to your, you know, your gender reveal ceremony because you're 27 and you've decided that you've changed your gender to one of the 72, right? Like, sorry, I can't get behind that. I can love you. I can be patient and kind with you and I can continue to show you the Lord. The other thing I do for my kids, Travis, that I think is so important, I think more people need to understand is we can't expect them to be us. Like my son is 15. I'm not going to like, he knows what Burberry is. Okay. Like he does because he's my kid. They all do because they're my kids. Ella used to call it blueberry. <laughs> is that a blueberry shirt, dad? <laughs> I'm like, no baby, it's Burberry. <laughs> but like, but you know, they all know what it is, but my son could care less about fashion. Honestly. Like, I mean, you should, he's like wearing like, I don't know if this is like a thing with your kid too, Travis, but like my son is wearing like vintage Tommy Bahama, like um, like Hawaiian shirts now. And I'm like, bro, what's happening? <laughs> like what? What? I'm like, that's terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, what? So Joey, here he is. He doesn't care about fashion, but a couple of years ago, he wanted to play football. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about football. Okay. Like sports come on and I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) Now I will watch some ice hockey because like, man, they will check you. They will hit you. Like it is fun to watch. 
Um, I do like tennis every now and then, and golf is great to sleep too. And I mean, you know, so like, so Joey says, I want to play football. And I said, okay. So I said, I'm going to coach, which anyone who knows me is like, what? And they're like, do you know the rules? And I'm like, nah, but this is going to be super fun. <laughs> Listen, my kids aren't called to do what I like to do. I'm called to be their parent, which means doing what they like to do, right? It's being, being interested in what they're interested in. And so I coached football. And I was like the coach. Like everyone loved me. I about, I don't know, week six, I finally read the rule book. I put it on a clipboard. I took it with me to the game. And I told the other coach every time he broke a rule. <laughs> Like, and so I had named myself the hospitality coach. Okay. Because listen, I don't know football, but my best friend, Johnny, he is like a quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so he's like, I got this. So he totally was like the fundamentals coach, but even like sometimes he'd yell at them too much. And I'd be like, Johnny. Stop it. You're not motivating them. I'm like, watch this. If you win by a hundred, I'll buy you all pizza. <laughs> now, I also got told that that is not good sportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> I just saw it as motivation, you know. And so I, I coached for four years, and it was hysterical. Like, I um, I got ejected from my first game this year. Um, it wasn't my proudest moment, but I was also, I was proud of myself a little bit, actually, because I cared so much that I got ejected. I didn't cuss or do anything terrible, by the way, just so we all know. I just told a kid I was going to bop him on the head with a water bottle. Consequently, he was on my team. And um, his dad and I are really good friends. And his dad was dying and his mom was like standing there watching the whole thing it was hysterical. But the point is that I chose to get out of my comfort zone and find a way to connect to my kid over something that he liked. And too often as parents, we don't want to get uncomfortable. So we end up assuming that our kids need to be uncomfortable so that we can stay comfortable. Our kids are already there. And that's the same thing when we're talking about these cultural issues. Like, Travis, our kids are already there. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. They know it. And we're too busy trying to make sure that we're comfortable. And so we're not talking to them. So they're talking to each other. So they're learning from each other. We've got to get uncomfortable. Open your eyes. What can you see around? Wind of the open sky. Over the siren sound. But as you've you've gone on, as you've matured, and as you've gone on, do you find yourself where people will contact you and gravitate towards you, especially in regards to this issue, because of your story? And I'm assuming there are people that have approached you in both the positive, in that they appreciate it because that's been their struggle and you give them hope, and in the negative, in that you're betraying who you really are in that regard. How do you respond to those two different groups of people and what mental perspective do you have in your mind to deal with them? Well, let me tell you first that I think every time I tell my story, it's like opening up a vein. It's emotionally exhausting because you're opening yourself up to all of that again, right? So it's a lot. The people who come to me and they are wowed and they are thank you so much and this is so refreshing and and that that side of it generally you know i appreciate them i you know it's obviously the lord that has done this and um the lord that continues i mean sanctification doesn't just stop right it happens continually and so i'm appreciative that i get the opportunity to share and usually, you know, when, when they come to me and they're 
happy and excited, you know, it means that it's because they have something personal going on with them or with someone close to them. And so generally I dig into that, like what's going on with you or what's going on with someone close to you. Why, why does this relate to you? Why does this connect to you? Because I want to offer them hope. For the people who say that I'm not living to who I am, I laugh because here's the thing. Like, I love the progressive statement, like, live your truth, right? And so if you're progressive and you believe that live your truth is, like, real, well, then shut up and let me live my truth. Like, this is my truth. Now, my truth happens to be the truth, right? The truth of the gospel. But at the end of the day, it's my truth. To to the non-Christians, and I get this a lot where people are like, oh, well, you're denying who you are. Yeah, I am denying my flesh the very act of what the Bible calls us to do. You know, like I am not, quote unquote, cured, right? Like, it's not like, oh, I'm a happy heterosexual now. Like, that didn't happen. In the process of sanctification, most people don't go through that. They don't go, they don't wake up one day. Like, I, you know, I am routinely jealous of, but also sad for the person who is miraculously healed. Right. And I know some people who are like, oh, and I've never struggled again. And I'm like, wow, I'm super jealous because that'd be super nice. But I'm also like, wow, you don't need Jesus. Right. Like we need Jesus. We need the shedding of his blood to cover us. We don't stop sinning. We continue to sin in little ways. Right. And so we, but we, it's, we, the process of sanctification and all that, we, get further and further away. And so for me, you know, A, it's the whole like, fine, then let me live my truth. But B, it's, it's an opportunity to show grace and say, you know what? I am choosing to deny my flesh. You know, Melissa once said to me, it was so funny, a couple of weeks ago we were driving and she said, She's like, fabulous you is a lot. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> she calls it fabulous she's you. Like, <laughs> she's like, fabulous you is like, fabulous John is a lot. She's like, and I'm really not attracted that, to that side of you anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, because I don't think that's you. And it's true. Sometimes I know how to turn it on and I fabulous it up a little bit, right? On purpose. Because I'm looking for a reaction or something. But the me that is me, the me that she knows, take all the masks. You know, I said in the beginning of this that I, I learned how to put on masks. And I think it's something that I'll struggle with forever. Is am I taking off the masks and being truly me and who God created me to be? Identity is part of that, right? Be a man of God and let that mask shine. Let, like, that, let that truth shine through, not the mask that you put over it, the filter you put on it, if you will. But the me that she sees when I'm walking with the Lord, the me that when I'm being a man of God, no one can refute that. There is no mask there. And so for me, the very counter to those people is for me to live in that beautiful space of being a man of God without a mask on. As a beautiful example of how to do this, you have this amazing gift of the Bible, right? David wasn't free of sin, but look at how he lived his life. He pursued God. We're all supposed to pursue God. And if a person says, oh, look how great you were because you did this. No, the Lord allowed this to happen in my life. And the Lord has given me the strength to continue going. And the Lord has given me the voice for today. I said to you before we started recording is, you said, is there anything that you want me to ask specifically or whatever? And I said, no, we're just going to see where the Holy Spirit goes. It's the truth. If we live our life laid into the Holy Spirit in his hands and letting him speak through us, we're going to live a much better life, right? We're going to respond to people better. We're going to look at people in the pews and we're going to go, I'm so glad they're here, not why are they here, right? We're going to look at people on the street and we're going to go, wow, Lord, thank you for giving me eyes to see them and to see their need so that I can help be your hands and feet and fill it. And so to me, it's not about my sexuality. This story (laughs) <laughs> that we talk about is not, yes. Yes, I was a drag queen. Yes, I slept with men. Yes, I was also an eccentric millionaire. 
Yes, I was a lot of things. But what am I? I'm a man of God. And my identity is that. And so the story is about the freedom that we find in this awkward world where we're free from sin, but we're a bond slave to his spirit in our life. You say peace is just a state of mind. You help me reach it when I leave my behind. In this city chaos and dust in our eyes. Speeding at us, we sweetly walking by. Do, do you find, John, as you're talking on these subjects, that in this cultural moment that your story takes on a new dimension, not for, like you mentioned, it's not that of what you were, it's what you are now. But do you find that that message is something that really encourages people to grab a hold to at this cultural moment? I think culturally we're in a mess. We all know that. In this moment, people want to see hope whether it's hope for a loved one who's struggling, whether it's hope for themselves and their own secret issue or sin or addiction, right? But they want to see hope. And I think that for, for me, the Lord has given me a unique message and a unique time. I wanted to start sharing my story 10 plus years ago, but I had little kids and there was a lot going on and my marriage was still a wreck. And I mean, some days it still is a wreck. Like, I feel like every marriage is a wreck, like depending on the day. But um, I think that he, he saved it for such a time as this because there's a lot of people talking about a lot of different things. And a lot of the people, what I see is that a lot of them lack compassion and real life. Like, hey, I'm making it through it. And I'm figuring it out. And it's not perfection. Perfection is not the goal. Because with perfection, we don't need Jesus. And so I think that the Lord gifted me in this moment the ability to have this conversation and go, hey, I'm not perfect. Like, I get it. I get where you're all struggling. You know, it's funny. I'm writing a book. and. The subtitle of the book, well, I'm writing two books, but the book I'm writing that I'm talking about right now, the subtitle of the book is The Church Abandoned Me and That's Okay. And Kathy was like, oh, you can't say that because it's not okay. And it was funny because I said, you know what? It is okay because the church did abandon me because they didn't have an option. They didn't know how to deal with me. They didn't know how to handle it. And it's okay because it made me have to seek him even harder because it wasn't fixed by people. And I think that had I been living in today, 20 years later, where the churches are now not only saying, come, but they're saying, come and still be gay. Come and bring your spouse, partner, right? Come, live that life. It would be a much harder journey for me. There'd be much more confusion. I have empathy for the young people that are trying to figure out how to live a biblical worldview life in light of every other corner. There's a different church saying a different thing. It's, it's interesting. I never thought I'd be in parenting ministry. <laughs> I, I find it ironic because I feel like I fail as a parent like six times a day, not seven, only six. <laughs> and so, um, but I feel like I fail and, but, you know, but people say I don't. And so praise the Lord. I think it's ironic that I'm here and I'm going, okay, this is how you can live and raise your kids in this moment where people think childhood just is like a means to an end, right? It's like, okay, raise your kids fast. Like I know homeschool families that send their kids to college at like 13. And I'm like, what are you doing? They're kids. Let them be kids. And so. But our worldview, we have them till 13. At 13, their worldview is set. Through 2022, 20, it gets refined, right? But it's set by 13. Those first 13 years matter. 
they're important for us to sow into these kids, to grow them, to shape them, to show them a worldview. And especially in today's culture, to give them a solid foundation so that when they do walk out and go, but that church says that I can accept and affirm all of my friends. So maybe that's the right church for me. They can go, no, I can accept and I can love, but I don't have to affirm. And I know how to do that because I've been equipped. Because my parents sewed into me biblical truth, love, kindness, gentleness. What are the fruits of the spirit? They're like, I think that I was taught that the fruits of the spirit are like anger, bitterness, (laughs) rage, yelling. No, are those not the right ones, Travis? Oh, I got it wrong. I get it wrong. Listen, I got this. Um, <laughs> no, it's the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Let's show love. Let's have joy. We, you can only have joy if you're a Christian. Joy comes from the Lord. Let's show joy. Peace. Let's be at peace with each other. Let's be at peace with others. Patience. Let's be patient. Love is patient. Isn't it interesting that love is patient and the fourth fruit of the spirit is patience. The first one is love. So it refers back to itself. Because if love is patient first and the first fruit of the spirit that we talk about is love, then we cannot show love without patience. Yeah, it is also recalled as the fourth fruit of the Spirit, right? Love is patient, kind. The fruits of the Spirit are all of these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. None of that, nowhere in there does it say, be angry and yell at people. Be mean. Shove the Bible in their face. Smack them down. Tell them they're wrong. The Bible doesn't command us to do all of those things. The Bible commands us to love people. The Bible commands us to show them a way to the Father. And so let's do those things. And so in this cultural moment, I think unless you're willing to go stand and make a change, I know someone who's running for Congress because she's like, I'm going to stand and make a change. Then be the love. Show the fruits of the spirit and show them something different because we've done a really good job at the church over the last 50 years of being legalistic. I'm not perfect, Travis. You're not perfect. But we can all walk together on this journey and help each other grow closer to Christ. Those are such true words. Even with the people that I've met that say, well, I'm not good enough to be a church. I got to get my life cleaned up first. And I, I always laugh. I said, that's like saying I got to take a shower before I take a bath. You know, you're dirty, you get in the water. And, and that takes some time, though, as a church, because we think, as you said, if someone's there, I mean, we're glad a person's there. But if their lifestyle is such that it's much more noticeable, if someone's dressed in drag, let's say, and comes into the worship service, how do, how do people respond? They get looks, they get nervous. It, it's very different. It's a challenge to them. And, and instead of saying, we're glad they're here because they're hearing about the message of Jesus. And they may not agree. And it might take some time to work through that and to know how to talk about these things. The unfortunate part is, is some of these sins are much more noticeable outwardly. But the reality is, is that we all have our sin no matter what it is. Some, it's just easier to hide. It's not as noticeable from a first glance perspective where we've gotten really good at hiding them. And it's something I think that we need to rethink. And and I think God is enabling a lot of the things that we see today, not enabling or allowing is the better way of describing it, to help us rethink how much we do love and how much God loves us. To bring us back to see that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were getting our act together, but we were in enemy mode. We were spiritual terrorists and he still loved us in such a way. And as I like how you separated it, we can love and we can accept, but not affirm. There's a difference there. There is this idea of, I can love you. I can care for you. I accept you for where you're at, 
but I can't affirm your continued pursuit of it. Instead, I want to love you knowing that even if you do continue, I still love you, but I can't get behind it because it's something that is hurtful to yourself, your person. And the the sign of love is, is calling you to obey Jesus's commandments, to patiently, lovingly continue to plead for you to be reconciled to God in a patient way. This isn't just a one-time gospel presentation, turn or burn. This is a sustained, loving engagement, which leads us to very a lot of uncomfortable conversations, I think is what you were saying before. How do we deal with this issue? Do we go to their home? Do we go to this? How do we engage that? What do we do when this happens? There's a lot of different nuances to that because we don't want to give in to something that the Bible condemns. We don't want to allow something or, or affirm something that the Bible does not in any way, shape, or form. But John, I want to thank you for our conversation today. How can people learn more about you and just follow what you're doing? You can go to celebratekids.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as Celebrate Kids Inc. INC. You can subscribe to our newsletter at celebratekids.com. We have a new podcast coming out that I'm on with uh, Jeanique Stewart, who is an apologist called Don't Be Offended. So that's it's super fun. We break down a lot of these biblical worldview issues, but kind of with my snarkiness, um, which is always, always present. Um, and so I think that those are the ways you can email me. If you have questions, concerns, how do I help a friend? How do I help a neighbor? How do I help my church? We're developing a curriculum right now called the Prodigal Suitcase, and it's for churches on how to bring in prodigals and help them unpack their baggage, repack with good, and then send them out to be disciples. So you can, you know, obviously get on our email newsletter to get more information about that. But if you have questions, comments, concerns, um, you can email me, john at celebratekids.com. And then also, you know, if you were interested in those core needs that I talked about, security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence, we do um, have a book called Five to Thrive about that. And we have a new Bible study coming out sometime when the writer gives it to me um, about those five core needs. That will be a great Bible study, Travis, won't it? Travis is actually writing that uh, for me. So I'm excited about that. But but yeah, that's how you can get me. And I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to dissect some of these issues with you if you so inclined. Well, John, it's been a true delight to hear your story, to hear what God has done in you and what he's doing through you right now. And I just want to thank you for coming on Apollos Watered. Thank you. John is, as you heard, a larger than life personality. He doesn't fit into nice, neat church categories if you've grown up in church, although he should. Because every one of us have been transformed in one way or another, and we should never be surprised at how God's grace is working in a life. He is more honest about his need for Jesus than most people I know. He owns his sin and his baggage. He uses what he has been through to teach kids, his and others, how to love God and neighbor and how to hold true to the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore love the person far from God. Notice I didn't use the word but. Because the truth of God is the most loving thing that we can offer anyone. And we're all broken. Some of us are just better at hiding at it than others. John does remind us, though, that the culture has shifted. If you've grown up in church, you probably are looking around going, who moved my church? The church has shifted radically. And in just a few short years, the sheer volume of Gen Z who identify as LGBTQ plus is astounding and reflects the realities that our kids are facing, whether they speak to us about it or not. I appreciate John's mindset of using cultural touchstones as, as ways to teach our kids how to live like Jesus, how to love others like Jesus. We don't affirm what the Bible clearly says we cannot. We do have love that is patient and kind. God never walked away from John. He provided people and events to draw him back. Here's my question, though. Could God use you to help draw someone like John, or are you more likely to be an impediment to faith? Could your kid talk to you about their friend who is gay, or are they afraid to even come close to the subject, or even your own child? Could your child talk to you 
if they were struggling in dealing with these issues or any issue for that matter, because it's all sin. This is tough stuff, and these aren't easy conversations. Frankly, it's not easy to live this way. It's hard to engage the world. It's messy. But Jesus doesn't call us to easy. He calls us to faithfulness, to the ongoing process of sanctification. And he gives us the privilege of being the means by which he calls others to himself. That is awesome. And I'm glad to call John my friend. And I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for some time. I hope you will too. Thank you for listening to Apollos Watered, and please prayerfully consider supporting us and helping us meet our year-end goal of $50,000. If you want to support us, no matter what the amount is, please go to apolloswatered.org, click the Support Us button, and select the amount that works best for you. I want to thank our Apollos Watered team for making this dream a reality. And if you want to watch this or any other of our deep conversations, go to our YouTube page. Simply put in Apollo's Watered Podcast. That's it for today, everybody. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Watered. Stay watered, everybody.